Welcome to the Jerry T Podcast. I'm joined by Matt Costa. Uh, Dave Shields is still awaiting for uh, his second kid. And we tried to get him to join us, but he wasn't having it, Matt. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It seemed, it seemed for a bit like we might do another three-man, but uh, eventually he just decided to, quote-unquote, go to bed, which I actually think just means cubing while we're recording. Yeah. And... I I don't know if if he was just playing matches like kind of listening maybe occasionally asking a question or whatever uh, uh that would have been fine with me you know let's just hang out Yeah but he needs he needs his rest uh babies probably on the way pretty soon at this point uh which is why I'm here and will be filling in for a couple of weeks Yeah yeah I'm stoked Uh this is great we played some games today Played some standard for a couple hours, so got plenty of that to talk about. I am going to SCG Cincinnati this weekend. That is modern for both main events, but there's like some pioneer RCQs also on Friday and Sunday that queue for Dallas, which I am not qualified for. So I feel obligated to play in that. Um, what should I play, Matt? What do you think? In in the in the modern tournament or no. in the pioneer tournament? Well, in in pioneer first, but uh, yeah, tell me about the modern too. I guess I, I mean, I think if I were playing a pioneer tournament this weekend, I would still choose to play blue white control, despite the fact that it has a little bit of a target on its back. Um, I don't know, just felt like the best performing deck coming out of coming out of the rc i don't really it doesn't really feel that exploitable honestly um i i think i think the deck just got a ton of upgrades uh over the course of a couple sets and and that took it from being a deck that you could sometimes play when the metagame was right to a deck that it's just always totally acceptable to play upgrades plus Karn getting banned, which weakens Mono Green. Uh, I mean, Appraiser got banned, but like shouldn't have been a thing in the first place. I don't even really count that as like a change to the format. And then, yeah, just a bunch of upgrades and I guess like Amalia becoming a deck too. And that being a pretty good matchup just looks really good for, for Blue-White actually. And this is a deck that I've just made fun of for forever in Pioneer because it was so clunky and bad. But uh, temporary lockdown in general is just one of my favorite cards. Yeah, I think the Amalia thing is interesting too because it forces everyone else to play ways to interact with Amalia in their decks if they want to win. And yeah. then and then people having to play those interactive cards against Amalia makes their blue-white matchup worse. Right. Like decks like that have always been you know, used to talk about the control free wins more so in standard when you would play these control decks and get paired into someone who has six, seven, eight doom blades in their deck. And it's like, okay, well, they, you know, they basically are mulliganing once or twice a game just yeah. because I of mean, how their deck is constructed. Especially because Amalia is threatening like the turn three kills, it kind of like forces everyone to lower their curves too, which means they have fewer powerful cards, like usually run out of gas more often. You know, fewer things like Bankbuster in the Rakdos decks that are actually kind of the problematic cards for Blue White too. So, yeah, yeah Blue, Blue um, White is good. 
Um, I was kind of looking like what what cards I do not have for it, and it's not a ton, so I should probably start collecting those, I guess. Yeah, I think I think it's here to stay. You know, get lost is a big deal for that deck, and um, I expect if you know, even as the pioneer metagame shifts, it'll be it'll be a good one to have in your back pocket for the right weekend. Yeah, very adaptable too. So what is uh Shark Typhoon, Wandering Emperor, White March, Get Lost, Memory Deluge. Like these are these are not bad. I could I could get this. I don't want to play it, but uh, might well, happen. if you do if you do well in the modern tournament, you don't have to play it. Well, I know, but the first Pioneer thing is on Friday. Oh, oh so okay. I I gotta play that before anything else. But uh, the the thing that I have sleeved up is just Phoenix, um, partly because of all the stuff that we said a couple weeks ago about Drake's. Just like, is it being fairly well positioned? But like Phoenix specifically has a better blue white matchup. So, uh, I'm not playing blue white as of yet, but I'm certainly respecting the hell out of it. Yeah, I think. I mean, I you know, uh, a little bit biased. I think those certainly blue white or one of the blue red decks ad- agree that I think with the way the metagame has evolved, I would rather play Phoenix than Drakes right now. Um, but yeah, those those seem like kind of the the choices that are up your alley in terms of the style of deck you want to play also. All right. How do you feel about four sunken Citadel in blue white? Four sunken Citadel in blue white. Uh, that feels like a lot of sunken Citadel to me. Um, okay. But what but- if you have seven field of ruins and, you know, like creature lands and Arden Vale? this one has a Vantress. I'm looking at a deck list right now. And, Despite Citadel still discounting the Vantress, it is still comically bad. So I wouldn't do, I wouldn't be doing that. But yeah, I mean, I think I, <laughs> we're, we'll we'll probably talk a little bit about Citadel Field of Ruin once we get to the standard section. Yeah, we will of this podcast. But uh, yeah, I mean, I I think I think that's just like a really powerful and interesting package. Um, whether pioneer is at the at a place right now where that's a particularly good thing to be doing against a lot of the decks i don't know Um, i think i think it is pretty good it certainly comes with like a lot of downsides potential downsides but there are so many decks that i see that are like oh i play one basic because of field of ruin or whatever and then it's just like you play against a deck with four field of ruins maybe that's fine you know but you play against a deck with seven that can start doing it on turn two you know like then you start getting punished, and that's why I I wouldn't play seven without the Citadel, but with Citadel I think it looks really good. And then looking at like all these Amalia lists, like they just don't have any. Yeah, yeah, it is definitely. I mean, you know, I think I think it is it is good against Amalia if the game gets to that point. If your hand is a sunken, has no sunken Citadel and two Field of Ruins. And you're holding a temporary lockdown. Little awkward. you, you probably just want to leave the tournament hall. Okay, I guess 
I guess a lot of them do have a basic, but still, again, only one. Yeah. But I saw um, some lists. The first few lists I saw didn't have any. I do like that package, though. I think uh, Sunken Citadel is a card that is going to continue to have a lot of impact in a variety of formats. And, you know, this that just strikes me as one of those cards that every time there's a new set printed, there's going to be something that, like, goes well with the Citadel. And then we're going to wake up in a year or so, and it's going to be in some of the best decks in a bunch of these formats because it's just the type of card that gets better and better as the card pool expands. Yep, I, I definitely agree with that. And it's like it's already pretty good. So uh, I, I think that Wizards has been doing a pretty good job of printing interesting non-basic lands and also across the spectrum of rarities too. You know, so there's like a decent amount per set. So it it probably will not take very long for there to be uh, a new card or two that interacts pretty favorably with it. So, I yeah, like and I, I, I mean, I just love those. I love those types of deck building puzzles where it's it's powerful, but you have to work for it, and it it's not the sort of hit you over the head type of synergy where it's immediately obvious, kind of like what what cards you're supposed to be pairing it with, and that those are by far the best ways to be utilizing it. I think, you know, there there are probably things that are already legal that you could be doing with it that people haven't really figured out the right way to build them yet. Uh and and I always I always find those stories fascinating, you know, when you get to look back on a format at some point down the line and be like, "Oh, this this combination of cards that ended up being really good was actually legal together for two months before anyone ever bothered to put them in a deck. So there was a a Grand Prix in Los Angeles that was extended that was won by Mind's Desire Storm and that is the one that I look back on the most where I'm just like, I don't know the best way that we could have built this deck but we're definitely doing it wrong. This is the blue-red Mind's Desire deck, right? Yeah, where it was like, you you play a bunch of red rituals, and then you either Manamorphose or use a Cascade Bluffs to play a Mind's Desire. And your best draws were turn three Desire for something like six. And the deck also played four Lotus Blooms, which meant it was like a very consistent turn four, but there were just so many games where you would have a bloom still on suspend, and it's like, oh, well, I have to go for it now because my opponent's goldfishing me like their turn four on the play or whatever, right? And then, so it's just like, I don't think the deck was supposed to have Lotus. I think that, like, Cascade Bluffs is probably not super playable and probably shouldn't have been doing that, but uh, there are also just so many, like, one-mana cantrips legal that we just weren't playing for various reasons that, in hindsight, all seem, like, pretty silly, you know? It's like, oh, I don't want to play like Serum Visions because I'll like I want to hit my Lotus Bloom off of it. So we'll play like Sleight of Hand instead because it gives you more looks at hitting Lotus. But it's like if you cut Lotus, then you're kind of more incentivized to play a bunch of cantrips, you know? Yeah, it's I, I want to I, I'm not going to be able to find it while we're podcasting because this is going to involve 
digging up some old PTQ deck lists, but yeah, none of the links work anyway. So. I I played that that extended season was the second season of PTQs that I ever played in, kind of like right as I was getting into competitive magic. And it was the first time I'd ever played extended. I remember one of my friends playing that deck. And this is at least a couple of months after the Grand Prix that you're talking about. And I'm pretty sure it was the same Lotus Bloom, not that many cantrips. So it wasn't it wasn't like the that got iterated on and solved for no. or anything like that. No. It, ne- it people never got there. Yeah, I mean, like everyone uh, up until that point, I think was just playing Grape Shot, and then we finally just played Tendrils in that tournament because it was like you have Manamorphos and you hit Lotus off of Mind's Desire, you can just cast it. Uh, and then if you hit Tendrils itself off Mind's Desire, obviously you just cast it. And it's like so much easier to win, and that was like one of the reasons why we decided to play the deck. Um, but that was, that was it. Like that was our big innovation was playing like a better win condition. Um, but in terms of like rebuilding the deck from scratch, that was just things that we would occasionally mention where it was like, yeah, killed my opponent on turn three again, had a Lotus on suspend, felt like a jackass, you know, just like, is this right? But like, we never actually tried. No one did. Just bizarre. And then, you know, you get to the point where the the big hype thing is like oh like you know standard delver has eight cantrips so it's busted or whatever and then you start looking back on these old formats where you had like 12 cantrips available and like they're not great but they're all fine um but for example i you know like ponder was legal right so like that was I, the thing we could have been doing yeah ponder ponder was definitely legal uh because i <laughs> i for sure cast some spell stutter sprites that season yeah yeah exactly so uh yeah, Sunken Citadel feels like one of those things where just like maybe in a couple of years it's like oh yeah could have been doing this the whole time. I don't know what this exactly is. It is probably not like oh field of ruin your land and like <laughs> try and banish you or whatever. But who knows? Uh yeah, what about I, I don't know what it is, but it's there. Yeah, it's it's powerful though for sure. Uh, what about modern? Do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, so I think my my level one uh assumption in modern after the ban was that uh, like everyone else that yogmoth was going to be one of the better decks um it that doesn't necessarily seem to be bearing itself out in the actual results of the tournament uh tournaments uh i don't know if you saw it was one of the challenges this past weekend where I think it was at least three of the decks in top eight were furious grief scam yeah um, yeah it's happened in a few of those events uh so you know i think i think that is that is really interesting that feels to me like it should be <laughs> solvable <laughs> like there's just you know there were already some decks that were pretty good against scam and scam's best card against them was fury you know i think about like hammer as an example yeah uh and so furyless scam i'm i am still a little skeptical like i'm sure it is a good modern deck and that it will be here to say but i i've already seen a couple people saying things on twitter like oh they you know ban the wrong card which is probably true but i also just i don't I don't think we're back to where we were 
Um, no, yeah, I, I think you're completely right. Where like, yeah, this deck is probably still good, but it is inherently more easy to hard target this thing than it was before. And yeah. I th- I think, yeah, eventually we'll get to a point where that starts happening and the Rakdos metagame share starts dropping a little bit. And uh, I mean, I, I think from from looking at this, it's like you have you have big mana, you have Cascade stuff, you have tempo in the form of Merktide, you have some combo-y control decks like Creativity. Omnath is sort of present, but it's it's mostly getting beat up. But like, I think it's just a matter of time before someone finds a build that's like actually good, you know. And then well, there's like mid range and scams. Like there's all these different sort of uh, macro archetypes represented, right? And I think that if one of them rises up, people will figure out how to beat it. There'll just be like good gradual churn in this modern format. It looks really good to me. I I I think so too. Um I, I think uh this is a deck that hasn't hasn't gotten a ton of noise over the course of the last couple of months in modern, but was a pretty big contender uh for a while before then. I think that some form of uh Jeskai Breach is probably a pretty good deck right now. Okay. Um just thinking about sort of the the types of decks that are doing well, you know. Uh, always, always felt that that breach versus Merc Tide was relatively close. Um, I think that deck has like historically been pretty well positioned against against decks like Rhinos. Uh, and then you know you just have a little bit more of this degenerate game plan that you can rely on when you when you get paired against things like you know some of the big mana decks or things like that. Um, so. I, I think that might be an interesting lens to explore, and and that's definitely something I've been thinking about a little bit, uh, in the context of of going to Denver, um, in in you know six weeks, and then SCG Hartford, um, in about a month. Uh, that's that's a place where I want to spend a little bit of time doing some work. Yeah, that sounds good to me, and and does make a lot of sense. I mean. One of the things that is not very present in the decks that people are playing is the One Ring. Like, it it is in Amulet, right? But that is kind of about it and breaches a fairly good One Ring deck. And, yeah, it's, like, kind of aggressive-ish, but has, like, a good combo backup plan, is in good colors to have a bunch of different interactive elements if you want them. You have Urza Saga is just, like, this one-card engine. Like, it looks good. Yeah, I mean that deck typically breaches good when Merktide is good. Yeah, and I mean, I I poo poo on Merktide uh, a little bit less than I used to poo poo on like Blue White in Pioneer or whatever, but I I think it is reasonable now. It is a thing that I will probably not touch anytime in the near future, but I do think that this is one of the points where Merktide is the like one of the better decks. It's like, you know, one of the top five decks or whatever, which maybe doesn't say much, but uh yeah, it's it is not bad. And if your thing holds up, then that means that Breach is probably not bad too. Yeah, I mean Merktide, uh so so I won I won an RCQ with Merktide that was kind of in some ways like 
kickstarted me re-engaging with magic a little bit. Um, and my, my personal thoughts on it are that it will, it is basically impossible for it to ever be the best deck. Like it is just not, it's just not quite powerful enough. Yeah. Um, all your cards individually good, very efficient, but like where, where all your like zero mana cards, your, your busted turns, like that sort of thing. Right. And so as a result, usually when it's performing well are when modern is in kind of these periods of, you know, I don't know if you want to call it downtime or a transition period where there's no obvious sort of like degenerate thing that people are doing um you know and not it's not necessarily that the metagame is wide open it's just that it is it is murktide is a good deck when the best decks are like a seven out of ten but when the best deck is a nine out of ten it just gets a little bit outclassed by some of the more powerful things that you're able to do in modern um, yeah that makes sense. And it does it doesn't hurt that the four color decks are are kind of on the back burner right now, uh, which are, you know, historically not not great matchups for Merktide. And I like you, I don't think that is a function of those decks not being good. I think that is a function of people haven't figured out the right way to build them in this metagame yet. All right. My my thoughts on Omnath are that uh, you definitely want to play a Delighted Halfling. That makes Teferi Time Raveler playable. Whereas before, I don't think that Teferi is all that good against the Cascade decks, despite what people think, I guess. It's just, they have a bunch of like disputes and force negations and subtleties and stuff like that, where you just jamming it on turn three and like locking them out is not viable. But once you have Halfling in the mix, it's just your best possible card against them. So. Halfling is good. Teferi is good. Ring is good. Uh, from there, the the old list had like, you know, Beanstalks or whatever, and then some amount of Furies until people eventually started experimenting with the Cascade stuff. And because you have Halfling, you're sort of incentivized to play more three mana cards than just Teferi. So people had like Nyssa or they would play like Fable or whatever. And I think all that's fine. And Fable especially was like a red card to pitch to Fury, which was cool. But the thing that I want to do, which doesn't really solve the three drop problem, but I think it solves a bunch of other problems, is play a couple subtleties. Uh, to enable those, you have Teferi Omnath. You can play a couple expressive iterations and you can play a couple uh, Tishana's Tidebinders. And I think Tidebinder is just very good. I think Rhinos is kind of proving that. And... Uh, also a card that gets helped a lot by the fact that you have like a, a mana accelerant in your deck. And then I think subtlety is also just like a pretty generally good card in the format. So that is where I would go with Omnath, but I haven't actually played any games. And then I also got to the point where I was like, oh, last time I considered playing like this slow ring Omnath deck and went to time in a few rounds or like was in danger of going to time. Uh, and then like playing creativity after it, I was like, ah, creativity is kind of like a better version of that, which is why I'm leaning more towards that for this weekend. But 
I do think that Omneth is good. Like I would play Omneth online. Yeah, maybe maybe trying to fit too much stuff here. Um, but you know what? You know what? Also, is kind of an interesting, an interesting card to to add to the mix here, which is you know something you were mentioning in the context of another deck is is going back to ephemerate. Yeah, I I don't mind one ephemerate certainly, but if you want to find ways to work in more of them and make them good, you could certainly try and do that. I'm not sure how you do without fury. Because like ephemerate my subtlety is not great. Yeah, same thing. It doesn't really interact with Tidebinder the way you would want it to either. Yeah. I mean, I like it kind of does if you're like stifling a fetch land the first time, right? Right. So yeah, maybe I don't know, maybe Tidebinder is good enough, at least justifies like the one copy, at least, but uh, yeah, I think you have like the bare minimum amount of like blue cards and then you can play like force negation in the sideboard and stuff. So I like that, but I never, I, I worked on these kind of like blue slanted Omnath decks a lot, but never actually registered them outside of the Cascade deck. Yeah. I, I mean, I really like a Tidebinder as a thing to do after you play Halfling also just sounds really good um it incentivizes you to play a little bit more at instant speed which is kind of at odds with some of the you know iteration omnath stuff that you have going on um and i wonder i wonder if there's a way to i wonder if there's a way to sort of reconfigure things where you know you in the games where you don't play play a teferi you know you can sort of pass with a tide binder up and then maybe you have something else to do with your mana if they end up not playing into it um but then but then also that just kind of sounds like a worse rhino stack if that's the game you're trying to play yeah i mean i i would mostly just be like it's it's face up if you're passing with three open mana in omnath but right. i think that that's fine but the other thing you can do is play like Eladomri's Call or something, which is not terrible. Like both both Call and Ephemerate have kind of bonuses to me where they are white cards that you're happy to pitch to Solitude. Whereas in a lot of instances, you're like, I, I would have to pitch like a Binding or a Prismatic Ending or something, you know? So. Yeah, it is definitely, um, it's definitely awkward that the way the way the deck has historically been configured is that the debt the decks that solitude is good against are also the decks that most of your other white cards are good against yeah exactly so teferi was the the one card that stood out where it's like oh hell yeah i pitch this every time you know i'm probably getting my ass kicked i don't have time to play this thing but i mean now it's like well yeah maybe we pitch a call and like save this teferi because we're going to need to pitch this to like a subtlety or something so kind of relieves yeah the pressure from the blue card too by adding another white card oddly enough could play some reprieve or something like that yeah that that's another one that is very teferi-esque like you don't have time to cast it against aggro and i wouldn't mind playing like a couple spell pierces or reprieves or something those are always fine but yeah other than that i don't know modern modern is just this thing where it's like the the top six decks are all, all like 
close to 10% each, like 8 to 10% each. And then there's like this camp of like four decks that are like 5% and then a camp of four decks that are like 3%. And if you are just one of those people where like playing that kind of deck is your your lifestyle, your identity, like you are eating good right now. And that is just not, not, not me. Like none of these decks are really for me. So I'm like, uh, I could play Amulet because it's probably the best, but it just it won't be very fun, you know? Yeah, well, so let's let's talk a little bit about that because I'm not a, I I I'm no amulet expert. I would love to, uh, I would love to explore your because it might be the best. Take a little bit more. Um, but but to anyone listening, you know, to Jerry's point, all of these decks are viable. This is probably the first time in a while in modern where you can just play the deck you want to play that suits your play style and feel like you're not giving up an edge yeah so for anyone out there who's going to cincinnati or is going to go to hartford in a couple weeks or is thinking about playing in denver like this is the type of thing where you could lock in your denver deck now and just get a ton of practice with it and you're probably not sacrificing too much equity by like just choosing a deck and deciding to be really good at it. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, especially if you're able to identify like, okay, these are the decks that are going to be popular. I need to, I have, I have a good plan against them. I need to have a good plan against them. I'm going to have some time to like practice, get in reps, feel comfortable, have good sideboard plans, like feel prepared and confident, you know, like that is way better than uh, getting the, the perfect 75 potentially. Uh, at least in this format currently. Like normally I think if you are a generalist, like you are pretty good with everything, then maybe focusing on finding like a, a well-positioned deck is a better use of your time than just sitting down like practicing Hammer for three weeks straight or whatever. But uh, yeah, this this is one of the times where I, I agree with you. It's just If you like one of these decks, just decide to play it and then work on it. That's it. So with that said, if you are an amulet aficionado, do you do you think that is the right 76 to be playing in modern right now? <laughs> I like that you say 76. Dude, also I'm I'm looking at the last 30 days, it is 7.6% of the metagame on goldfish. That's a big number for a weird deck. Well, like I said, like a lot of these decks, so it's the two cascade decks, Rhinos and Living End, and then Yogg, Murktide, Amulet uh yeah those four and then the two cascade decks those are the 10 percenters so i honestly i do think amulet is is the best deck because the things that you were talking about with murktide where it's like you don't really have like a power spike type of thing you're not doing anything super inherently powerful like amulet is kind of the one deck remaining that is doing that Uh, outside of cascade stuff you know for our however much power you want to credit to like making eight to 10 power or in living ends case, making like 20 power. Yeah. And I think, I think the thing, the thing about Amulet is that it is always going to be really hard to tell from just the metagame numbers. If, if it is the best deck, 
Because there's just a ceiling on the number of people who are willing to sign up for that experience. Yeah. I, I like it's just not possible for a tournament to be 20% ambulant. There just aren't enough people who are one interested in doing that and two willing to sort of put in the time to learn kind of some of the the weirder intricacies of that deck. Although I don't know. I kind of think that stuff is a little bit overblown. Um, you know, amulet people like to like to make it out like you need some sort of advanced degree to to be able to play the deck. And I, I think that probably scares more people off than it should. Yeah. Um, uh, so but, I, I do agree with that, but in terms of like feeling like you're being proficient and knowing that you made the right play or like at least knowing the pros and cons of the thing that you're doing. I think that there is a lot to be said for like, you are just never going to have that feeling with amulet. If you are not, uh, you know, like a, a certified <laughs> primeval Titan addition or whatever, you know, and like, I don't, I don't like that feeling and I don't, I don't want to like sit down and play games where it's like, I'm pretty sure that there is a better line. And then I have to think about it for like a minute. And then, well, I still failed to find it. Um, and now my opponent's like getting mad because I'm taking forever and I feel like a dummy and I'm beating them anyway. You know, it's just like, it's just not great. But like, yeah, you could just choose to not really think about it too much and just go on vibes. I think that that's a perfectly fine way to do it. And then it's just not that hard at all. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, uh, I think that probably. I think good enough probably gets you there most of the time. That's kind of a silly thing to say, but um, I, I, that's that's how it feels to me at least. Uh, but it, but it it is also it is a very different type of magic, and I think there's a lot of people out there who, uh, even when they don't have all of the time that they would like to prepare, or they're maybe a little bit unfamiliar with the format. You know, magic is magic. And if you've been playing for a long time, you sit down, you play a tournament, you play against a deck where maybe you're a little bit unfamiliar with exactly what's going on, but it feels familiar to you. And you get to draw on a wealth of previous <laughs> magic experience. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, Amulet just Th kind of breaks those rules. Yeah, this this ain't it. It's like, uh, I've been playing magic for, you know, 20 plus years at this point. And then you sit down and play. It's like, yeah, all that's useless. Um, Yeah, a bit of a, uh, a, a bit of an aside and, and maybe story time here. Uh, so uh, a, a bunch of years ago, I came out to Seattle for, uh, man, I'm forgetting I'm forgetting what the name of the tournament series was. It was the thing that you could qualify for on day two of a Grand Prix. And if the, you did well, you got to go to play a big tournament at Wizards HQ. The Super Sunday series. The Super Sunday series. So I I don't know. I don't know why why I was blanking on that, but I ended up qualifying for that tournament. This is while you were living out in Seattle. Uh came out, played in the tournament, went and hung out with you for a day or two after. Um, and we ended up playing like a, a Tuesday night legacy tournament at Mox Boarding House, um, where, those days. where where you encouraged me to 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 uh, expand my range and play some some legacy dredge. Ooh, I don't remember this. That dude, that just sounds like me being an asshole. 
yeah, it was like, it was not a great experience. Um, Did you win? No, absolutely not. Well, yeah, that's kind of the problem too, is that like Dredge was not that good. Yeah, I think, I I think that was part of it. But I, I came away from that tournament and, you know, we had, we only played a couple of rounds, but I remember feeling like this, this just didn't really feel like magic to me. And even if I had won, I'm not sure that I would have had a ton of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's, I mean, I I don't think I ever would have tried to convince you that it's magic, but uh, I do think that it's maybe been beneficial that you got that experience. I don't remember this at all, by the way. Um, (laughs) uh, Yeah, that's, 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 that's funny. Yeah. I don't remember. I, I, I honestly don't even remember what other decks were good in legacy at the time um this was the this was the like gemstone mine careful study version of dredge yeah it was like led faithful saluting it was probably death ray shaman is legal dig and cruiser banned that would be my guess yeah that sounds that sounds about right to me i think the The Sunday Super Series was standard, and I played a deck that had, oh man, what is the name of this card? Tempest Elemental? Is that- Royal Elemental. Royal Elemental? No, maybe not. It is- Wait, were you playing like Sidisi Whip? Yes, that's what it was. Yeah, torrent was, something. It's in torrent. It's in tor- yeah, yeah tor- torrent elemental. Dude, I, I, work, I worked fun. on that set. I worked on that set. I yeah. I, I played a lot with uh like that card, torrent elemental. Yeah. So so yeah. So fate reforged was, I I think the most must have been the most recent set. Um. Yeah. So cr- cruise is probably banned, but dig is not. Correct. That would be my guess, but. And I I just owned the dredge stuff, so I'm sure that's why you I'm sure that's why you convinced me to play it was that it was already sleeved, and yeah I probably didn't want to play it I wanted to play like some brainstorm deck or whatever, <laughs> but I had also like played dredge there before you know it's it's not like I was just like passing it off to you whereas I had never had the experience or whatever I've also played amulet in a modern pro tour. So there's that. Uh, like I've I've played with this deck and I have worked on it before. I just none of that has really been in like the last decade or so. What what modern pro tour did you play Amulet at? The first one. Oh, so you like the the Wild West modern pro tour? Yeah. Well, so I had Summer Bloom and Through the Breach. So I think that those points of like technology where it's like oh summer bloom is technology or whatever like it kind of was like not everyone was on it uh like and and through the breach primeval titan was like also a thing that you could do was like teetering on the verge of like oh this is like kind of kind of broken or whatever uh the bad thing was that we had knight of the reliquary but in my defense we didn't have like grazer azusa 
type of stuff. Like Azusa was legal, but I don't think that we thought that it was like a playable card, you know. Uh are you aware that are you aware that Dave and I also both played Amulet Breach? Breach but not you you had cloud post, right? Yes, we had cl- we had cloud we had cloud post. Um we had scape shift. Yeah. So you we were doing that amulet amulet scape shift cloud post in a hard cast emra cool thing. Right. Uh, uh, and so we had breach um also yeah, I mean it it's it's a funny tournament to look back on because I think we played 12 band cards um the That's problem the problem was that there were some people who got to play 20 band cards well also yours were not the first band cards like no you know <laughs> yeah it's like okay yeah green sun zenith like good one <laughs> band card yeah, yeah very good card uh-huh. but not quite on uh-huh. the same level um man okay so i'm looking for these deck lists my okay this might be hmm like my deck was not terrible but it was really bad i think like the actual construction of it was so bad that this might be like the second worst deck it's like definitely bottom five of decks that i played in pro tours i think just because it's like neither reliquary sucks so bad and i i should have been embarrassed by playing that in like my ramp combo deck you know i believe I believe I just found. Oh, never mind. I <laughs> so I, I realized that I wasn't going to be able to find it uh, anywhere on the internet. So I instead, I instead went into my email, oh, to see if I could find uh, anything related to this tournament. And clearly, I ended up playing a better deck than this. But uh, when I searched cloud posts in my email, the first thing that came up was an email to Jason Ford before Pro Tour Philadelphia. But this decklist has three tooth and nail in it. Hell yeah. And it also has an inner, oh, it also has an inner flame acolyte. Ooh, hey. So so before we figured out <laughs> breach into Emrakul, we were on tooth and nail into Emrakul inner flame acolyte. Oh my god. Which yeah, definitely a little bit worse. That's incredible. All right. I'm gonna try and find uh these these decks deck lists at some point. Uh I just remember running around the event hall trying to find a copy of Arena. Card literally named Arena. And the only one that I could find was a foil copy. Is that the origin of the arena decklist name? No, that that would be MTG Arena. Uh, but eh, yeah, Arena is a way. land that doesn't tap for mana. It's like three tap. Your creature fights their creature. And I did beat someone with it. Because they tried to splinter twin me. I tapped my Night of the Reliquary. Sacked my forest and I killed their deceiver exarch. Um, that I, I realize we're off the rails here. That yes. tournament, that tournament generates uh, a couple of really good stories. Um, and uh, I, I figure I figure I'll tell one more and then maybe we can talk about some standard. Yeah, that sounds good. So, um, 
played this breach deck alongside Dave. I, I think our deck was was pretty good. Um, you know, Jesse Hampton ended up making top eight with something that was like reasonably close. Dude, Dave to got what 49th. Played. Yeah, he did. I think I think to this day that was Dave's best constructed record at a pro tour. I think he went eight and two with our deck. Okay. Um, and so yeah, it's totally, totally reasonable deck to play. Um, but this was the Wild West. It was the first modern pro tour. And there were a lot of people who showed up to that tournament and a lot of good players who showed up to that tournament and registered decks that were completely unreasonable to play. Oh, yeah. Um, and my round one opponent, who is, I believe, one of the best Magic players to ever play the game, was Kentaro Yamamoto. Yeah. Um, and we sit down and... Turns out Kentaro is playing sort of like the more slow, ponderous, green-black cloud post deck. Like, I think it might have had some death clouds in it. You know, it was like a... Death cloud cloud post? No, maybe not death Mono cloud. clouds? What am, I, what, what am I thinking of? The uh, um, cry, crime and punishment, like the, the weird sort of like pernicious deed spell that people yeah. were playing. Like, yeah, just like this slow, slow, grindy grindy cloud post deck and so we sit down i play a cloud post kentaro plays a cloud post i play i don't know sakura tribe elder kentaro plays another land i play through the breach and i'm cool and win yeah and kentaro just looks at me looks to his left there's like some player doing some degenerate thing looks to his right Martin uses killing someone on turn two with infect. Yep. And just gets this look on his face of like, oh man, this is gonna be a really, really long day. Yeah. That well, so that was me round one looking over and seeing someone, uh, a check player who's on Martin's team, like just turn two, like shoal, blazing shoal, infect kill you. And then yeah, looking to the left and just like oh a storm going off on turn two or whatever. And I wasn't like, oh, this is going to be a long day. I was like, this is going to be a short day. Yeah, that, that's fair. That's I was fair. Like, a, sh- a short sh- and painful day. I was like, should I drop now or or what? Um, but I got 136th, and I scooped to someone at some point when we we're in contention for money because they needed pro points, and I I was just off it. I was like, get me out of here. And and that is a true. That is just such a a truly unique Pro Tour experience that, you know, we both had the privilege of playing in a lot of Pro Tours. Very few of them played out like that, where there was just, at least in the era that you and I were playing, yeah, where, where there was a right side to be on and a wrong side to be on. And if you were on the wrong side and didn't figure out sort of the rules of engagement for the tournament you had no chance and like that you know that's from stories that i've heard from people who you know played on the pt in the 90s and stuff that was a lot of what it used to be like and we didn't really get to experience very much of that outside of a couple tournaments where there was something really crazy and broken happening so the this was the tournament that i think fundamentally altered how I should approach pro tours, which 
was maybe a thing that I was like starting to kind of figure out and realize, but didn't set in until later. But, you know, maybe, maybe it should have like, I don't know, been a thing that I realized that second. Like, I think Kentaro realized it like in that moment. But just try to do the broken thing in a format like Modern. And uh, like Omneth does kind of powerful stuff, has really good cards. It's like the Merktide equivalent of mid-range decks, right? And uh, Amulet is doing the broken stuff. Like, it absolutely is. And it is one of the few decks left that can kill you on turn three and does so with, like, reasonable consistency, right? It's also, like, kind of hard to interact with. Uh, And a deck that people are not willing to play, people are not willing to test against, people are not really willing to sideboard against. It is very good. I should probably play it. Yeah, I mean, you. I've talked to so many people over over periods of time, you know, with, whether it's a deck like that or Tron, which is, you know, never been on. I don't think it's sort of the same power level of Amulet from like a speed element. But everyone you talk to is like, nah, I'm just not going to worry about it. No. Nah. Like they're 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 gonna lose to their own deck some percentage of the time, and I'm not gonna bother trying to influence that. Yeah, I'll and, just pretend it doesn't exist, and I'll play like Preordain Lightning Bolt in my deck. It'll be great. Yeah, and you know some of the time that works because some of the time that deck is Tron, which is actually just a you know fifty three percent deck against the wall or whatever, and it's totally fine to just cross your fingers and put a lot of a little bit or a lot of pressure on them and hope that it's enough. Um, but sometimes those decks are good enough or far enough ahead of the field that y- you kind of, you you can't afford to just kind of cross your fingers like that. Yeah. Anyway, creativity does kind of broken things, sort of, maybe, kind of. So more so than Omnath, at least. So it's not the worst thing I could do. But yeah, uh, 50 minutes in, we should probably talk about standard a little bit. Goddamn. Um, yeah, we played a bunch of games. Uh, Matt was the villain. Matt was playing uh, Domain Ramp and uh, pretty stock list, according to Magic Online at this point. I think everyone is kind of all doing the same thing, copying the same sort of decks. Not a ton of innovation. You see the occasional trumpeting Carnosaur or whatever, or... Uh, black virtue, I guess, but for the most part, it's like green, white, triple splash, and Cavern Souls makes it very annoying, very hard for the blue decks to deal with. Where uh, before it was like, well, maybe I can just load up on like disdainful strokes, counter their attractions and sunfalls, get under them a little bit, and Cavern Souls sort of changed all that. And I was a doom and gloomer up until a couple weeks ago when maybe I had like a, a faint sliver of hope and I had some ideas. Uh, were, were you ever in that spot, Matt? Did you ever think it was going to be like Domain and a bunch of unplayable decks? Yeah, I I mean, <laughs> I did. You know, like that Domain ramp was a deck towards the you know tail end of the last the last time people were really regularly playing standard and cavernous souls wasn't a card yet and it was still like a pretty good deck that it was acceptable to play and 
cavern got printed and my first thought was like okay the avenue the avenue to interact with this deck has been massively shut down and some of the other more powerful things that people were doing that could go over the top of that were you know mitigated to some extent by the fact that you know okay you have fables banned so the sort of like black red reanimator style decks weren't nearly as good and then you know can't play bank buster which makes the like sort of mono white stuff that people are doing not nearly as good and so yeah i was a little bit worried that it was just going to be domain and and a bunch of a bunch of aggro decks that were hoping to catch domain players napping and how do you feel now uh well i spent two hours just losing to you as the villain uh before we hopped on so i feel a lot better you but i mean i would love to talk a bit about those decks i think you you played a couple things that were in in varying varying degrees of kind of like still rough ideas but they both seemed really promising against him yeah uh i sent matt three deck lists one was blue black one was blue white one was rakdos and uh, I also had another blue-black deck in the holster, but is more meme than anything else. And after playing with the blue-black deck, we started with that matchup. And then looking at the blue-white deck, the black cards just seem better. Uh, like, obviously, there are considerations to just being, like, full Esper and, like, doing some of that stuff or whatever. But my white cards were, like, Denik, Spot Removal, Wedding Announcement, Wandering Emperor, which all fine cards great cards you know and then obviously there's some sideboard consideration but for the most part it's like oh mostly removal e type things you know and the the black cards are like gix air tie uh better spot removal better sideboard options because you have uh, like duress type of things to tag team with counter spells and the the big thing was the whole like oh I'm gonna just stifle your Atraxa and then maybe kill it, uh so I don't you know die to the seven seven. But the thing that I didn't I didn't realize or I didn't like think about was that Tidebinder turns off the like flying and life link, so there are just a lot of points where the blue black deck doesn't even need to kill it. You can just Tidebinder it, and if your Tidebinder doesn't die, you're fine. Uh, and then Air Tie is just more of those stifle effects and. That was that was good enough. It was it was great. I liked my deck a lot, and the matchup felt pretty reasonable. And uh, obviously, there are a lot of things that you can do from the ramp side to adapt to this sort of situation. But there are also like a lot of ways that I thought that I could improve my deck a little bit going forward. So uh, overall, that was a, a pretty good experience, and it was one where any notion of like doom and gloom I had is just gone. I think standard's fine. Yeah. And so there's a couple of things that I think particularly impressed me about that deck. Um, I guess it's also sort of worth worth noting that, you know, we, we had been talking about these kind of like blue, white, Tidebinder, Tempo style decks. Um, and then someone went and won the challenge on Saturday with a blue white version or a blue black version um that is like 
similar-ish to what you're playing, but I think there's enough, and, and certainly like a riff on the same theme, but I think there's enough different card choices that that you made that are kind of interested in talk and worth talking about. But the thing that was just the most impressive to me was the card advantage engines that the deck has access to between, you know, Gix and, and Preacher. It just makes it so that if you get rolling, you you're able to slog through like multiple Atraxas or multiple Sunfalls or kind of whatever I have going on, which which I think was my concern about the blue-white deck, which was sort of a little bit more of a tempo version of the deck, but without without the card advantage where it seemed possible that like, yeah, you could you could stifle my first Atraxa, but if you gave me enough time, I was eventually going to land a second one and it wasn't going to be a guarantee that you could interact with it. Yeah, I mean, it's, especially with blue-white only having Tidebinder, right? Like blue-black having air tie and Tidebinder makes that plan a lot more reasonable when it's like, well, okay, by the time they play their next Atraxa, I'm going to see like maybe six cards or something. Like pretty good odds you just find another Stifle. Yeah. And the, and the man land uh, impressed too i think the very the very first game you played we played you you milled me out with it yeah restless reef uh so like i i've read this card plenty have activated it very few times but if you're ever going to activate it it's kind of in this sort of matchup right and it's like i i knew it had death touch but uh it it just like came up like attracts it having to block it or whatever and it's like okay that's that's great uh and yeah, milling milling four cards, you do that a few times against uh, a ramp person with like some beanstalks and whatnot. And oh, I guess was this the game that you put the lockdown in your hands too, or is that a different game? Yeah, this is <laughs> this is the game where Would that I, have mattered. I didn't think about it after the fact. No, I mean, I think I I think you were gonna you were gonna over mill me by by multiple cards. Okay. Yeah, um, I didn't I didn't know if it was like a situation where it's like my reefs died and then you died exactly because you had like two beans and you couldn't play a seven and you couldn't kill me in time or whatever. I didn't know if having one more card would help, but No, I mean I think I think the way this specific game played out, we got to a point where I just had no cards left. Even even before I got milled out, I had no cards left in my deck that were like capable of impacting the game. Oh, okay. Um, but this was a game where I irrelevantly put a temporary lockdown in my hand with a Traxa instead of and then just, just adding it back to my library and then discarded it. And then we ended up playing a sort of long protracted game where I was at risk of milling. And obviously, you know, so something to be aware of, you know, I, I know that's a thing that a lot of my mirror opponents have, have clearly demonstrated that they're prepared to do is under under select on a Traxa to manage library size. Um, yep. But it, it just comes up in a lot of places where you wouldn't expect. Yeah, so uh, Mogged is the person who won the standard thing with Blue Black. Uh, they have three subterranean shooners, uh, three Gix, three Preacher, three Tidebinder, two Airtie, two Shieldred, uh, four Go for the Throat, instead of any way to kill the shooner. Only one make disappear. I had three. 
And they had 25 land, two Mirex. That's also what I had. I just had uh, one less shipwreck marsh and one more basic. And then the sideboard is pretty different. Um, but yeah, similar, but but also different in a lot of ways. Because I, I don't like Shieldred very much. Like, it is good against specifically mono red. But like, the aggro decks that are like Boros or Blue White Soldiers, like, Shieldred is fine against them, but they're going to beat you by like going wide and like pumping their team and stuff. And Shieldred is is a very slow burn, you know? Uh, so I would just want to have more air ties, I think. And then Preacher, Preacher is maybe something I have to try. Um, because like Gix, Gix is not always online. And certainly having uh, Spyglass Siren and Deep Cavern Bat, like those are awesome with Gix. But I don't know. Like Preacher is also just like better on the draw in a lot of instances. Uh, but like three tide binders, two air ties, nah, we need more of those. Yeah, and you you had the preachers in the sideboard. And no, they I didn't felt- I, I didn't have preacher in this deck. You got preachered out of the red black deck. Oh, oh, you're right. You're right. Um yeah, I mean, I think that obviously a different deck, preacher felt good enough to me against ramp that if if you know that's a concession you can make that you're sort of cart card advantagey engine creature is preacher instead of gix it also also is obviously an upgrade against any of the aggressive decks yes but gix does the thing where you draw a card for each creature that hits them which i definitely took advantage of multiple times yeah so it was it was impressive. It is it is very good with with the the one one flyers for sure. Yep. Uh yeah, this this deck is great. And I, I like three schooner, don't do that. Play four. Like it, it just makes Sunfall so much of a non issue, you know? It's just good. If if you're doing stuff like playing Preacher and Shieldred to be better against Mono Red, I think the Schooner is also just like a good card to have against them. Yeah, I think I think I think that I think that makes a lot of sense. The deck definitely felt promising to me. I mean, we didn't. This was our first time trying it, so the the obvious next question is how how bad is your matchup against the creature decks? Yeah, and I mean, I, I tried to build with that in mind. Like, I have some cut downs. I have a decent amount of removal. I had a kite sail larcenist in my three drop slot and then my sideboard has three sweepers the other cut downs i like a couple duresses against mono red stuff like that so it it is built in the way that i would normally build these sorts of decks and like play them on arena and stuff where it's like fine but you're not an overwhelming favorite or anything and usually game one is pretty tough but i don't think that there's any real way to get around that no and i mean you're 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 playing a lot of cheap cards which is always helpful in those matchups. Yeah. Even even if your deck structurally looks like it it has some weaknesses to aggro, especially in standard, a lot of the times the reason the aggro decks are good is because the other decks play one card a turn starting on turn three. Yes. Yeah, and I, and I try to be very mindful of that. that. Yeah, I try to be mindful of that up to and including like how I construct my mana base, right? Where it's like, there are a lot of good legal dual lands and 
I'm not playing for Restless Reef for Shipwreck Marsh, uh, in or like those equivalent cards in like in basically any of my decks, uh, because you really do have to like spend your mana in the first two turns at least to some degree. Otherwise, you're just going to get run over against Mono Red. So, uh, after playing some games, I do kind of want the 26th land, and if I do add a land, it would be the fourth Restless Reef. So we'll we'll see if if that stays or not, but. I mean, there are definitely some games I lost to you where it, it just felt like oh, I just missed land three for two turns, you know, couldn't come back. So if if that's like the only bad scenario, well, play around it. Yeah, for sure. And I think if you... Uh, a thing that you could do to mitigate flooding um, if you ended up going up to 26 lands would be to to put the fairy masterminds back in. Sure. Yeah, that's fair. Oh, yeah, I guess this deck has four Masterminds, whereas I had two Malcolms. Yep. So they have 11, 11 two-drop threats and one make-disappear. I had three make-disappears and 10 two-drop threats. And, and the Malcolm yeah. seemed good. Yeah, Malcolm, Malcolm was great, because uh, I especially like Malcolm with the, the Schooner and the Siren, because if you're, like, exploring and you hit an extra land... Like, Malcolm gets to filter through that versus, like, oh, I just have, like, five lands in my hand now. Like, what am I even going to do with this? So, uh, at the very least, playing 26 land, having, like, a mix makes a lot of sense between Mastermind and Malcolm. Is it worth talking about um, the what I think is maybe the most complicated game of Magic Arena I've ever played against you? Oh, God. Uh, we could. If if you're not on a time crunch, <laughs> it's uh, we'll we'll keep it brief. But uh, you know, I I know this is something that comes up a lot in playtesting. It's obviously much easier to deal with in paper, but everyone's done it. Where uh, you know, you're playing a game online, and someone makes like a boneheaded mistake or you know a misclick. And you decide that you're going to just play the game as though the board state is different than what the computer is telling you it is. Yeah. What, so what, if, this... I, what if I didn't? So, okay, here's the thing. I had a shooter that was hitting you for a few turns in a row, despite you having two stompers. And then you finally got to seven land. You attacked me for, for eight with them. And then just... Like me being on autopilot, basically, like beginning of my turn, I just like crew my schooner. And then I was like, oh, wait, that's probably not good. I should probably not attack with this three, four and your two, four, fours, you know? And it was especially weird because I crewed it with a two, two deep cavern bat. So it wasn't even like, oh, okay, well, you're, you're two life less, right? Because I was also like two life higher. Yeah. So we played this whole game where. I had two less life than I should, or or I I had two more li- two more life than I should. You had two less life than you should, and then like two turns later, I misclicked and I single kickered an angel when I meant to double kicker it. So yeah. then we had to play the game as though there were creatures in play <laughs> that and it, like, shouldn't the, be in play. The extra one that you would have targeted to was like a bat that had one of your cards, which was an invasion of Zendikar. So like 
not a thing that you really would have played over the course of that game, you know, but it was still extra awkward where it was like, well, this this card should be in your hand and like. <laughs> yeah, so. And then um, at, some, at some point I had an underground river, you know, and it was it was messy. Yeah, if you were at if you were at two more life. You would have used underground river for mana, but the program doesn't know that. Yeah, so instead I just had to like jump block to like maintain my life total so that I could, yeah. It was it was a mess. It was not good. So, um really really high quality testing. Uh but but I, I did think, you know, at the end of the day we got a lot out of it. The blue black deck seems very real to me. I think if you're especially playing this week 1 of RCQs and you expect the field to be really ramp heavy it seems like a really good choice and it wouldn't surprise me if the domain deck is able to find a way to adapt and make itself a little bit better and more resilient against these these sort of blue tidebinder style of decks but i don't think that's going to happen overnight and this might be a really good week to capitalize on that so the one remaining problem from the blue black side and it's it's not like a huge problem but it was very annoying when you had Archangel of Wrath and it gets cast off of Cavern, so I can't counter it. And then I can, like, kill it with Air Tie. But the, the kickers are separate triggers, so I can only stifle one of them, which is weird. But, like, sometimes it's like, all right, stifle the first one. Uh, I guess it doesn't have to be the first one, but, like, stifle one of them so your thing loses lifelink and... I save one of my creatures, but then, like, the other one dies, you know? Uh, and then you have this 3-4 ground pounder, and it's like, that's not the worst thing, but, like, it is it is annoying to deal with, you know? Especially when it's, like, a bait card to eventually, like, get out and attracts it to. Yeah, I, I think that's right, and I also think that it didn't necessarily feel like your deck had enough going on that you were going to be able to compete with like the really high end draws out of ramp. You yeah. Know, yeah. Unless stomper into invasion, like, okay, you, you basically have to have the make disappear for the stomper. Otherwise things get out of hand pretty quickly. Yeah. And even then, if like my man is open, you could potentially cavern it, you know, like, I, I don't think that that specific scenario came up. Um, but like you had it available to you at one point when I had one mana and you're like, is there's nothing that counters this, right? Like I, I don't have to cavern this. I can just wait. Right. But like, that is the thing that you can do. Uh, and certainly like those games where you just get out ahead and like, you know, start, start ramping, start doing your thing. When I'm on the draw, it feels really hard to come back from. in a lot of instances, if I stumble at all or like don't have like one drop into Schooner, you know? Yeah. So I definitely agree with that, but it's it's like have to be on the draw probably have to you have to have like a good draw. I have to maybe not have the top end of my draw. So I think I'm okay with that, but yeah, obviously if there is a way to to solve that to mitigate it to some point, like I would be down. But given given the fact that it's like oh I, I think I'm a favorite in this matchup, and I thought that probably nothing was a favorite. Uh, I like my spot either way. Maybe we should talk about the other deck that also seemed like a favorite. Yeah, so, well, after playing with this, looking at the blue-white list, I was just like, there's no reason to play this instead of blue-black because I like all the black cards. So then just cross that one off the list. They're like, let's get to this Rakdos deck. And this is the uh, deck that's 
was uh, created, played originally, I think, on Magic Online uh, that had like six Field of Ruin effects and like a bunch of black removal, a bunch of red sweepers, and then is doing like Cruelty of Gix, Atali, uh, Chandra, Hope Speaking, and Breach the Multiverse type of stuff. And with new cards, we get Trumpeting Carnosaur, pretty obvious inclusion. Uh, Camera Souls makes the Carnosaur and Atali uncounterable on Dinosaur. And uh, what else? Was there another? Oh, Sunken Citadel. Citadel. Yeah. Uh, so not, I haven't seen a list yet playing Citadel. And I think it's great. Uh, assuming that you think that the fields are good, which I am still maybe kind of on the fence about. But if you're playing fields, you should play Citadel. Yeah, and so, I mean, you know, I think I think the flip side of the blue-black deck, which is getting under the ramp deck, you found disruption that is able to actually meaningfully interact with, with Atraxa and stuff like that. Um, you know, this red-black deck felt like a deck that was capable of going over the top of ramp. Um, For one, you just have sort of the obvious cruelty steal there, Atraxa thing that has been a feature of sort of the back and forth in standard for a little while now. You obviously have the ability to do it on turn five with your own Atali if you discard to a big score. Um, But between Atali and Breach, it felt like even if I did my thing, you were able to do something even more powerful on top of it. Also, I did the cruelty thing on turn four against you. Oh, because of the Celestis. Yeah, I right. played. You played Stomper. I played Celestis. You passed. I looted away Atali. Played cruelty, and then I don't remember what happened, but the game was over. I think I hit another cruelty and something else. I think you hit. I think you hit a second Atali. Oh yeah. Spun the wheel again. I and think then it was you like hit... Atali invasion. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I I just went off. It was it was awesome. And then you were like, maybe I should have binding the Celestis. And it's like, yeah, probably, I guess. It uh it, it felt really impressive the degree to which you were able to go over the top, you know, also just the fact that you have a bunch of hard removal for Atraxa and the ability to go over the top, it just made it feel like from my side that even once I started doing my thing, landing a haymaker every turn, that it just wasn't going to be enough to to get through everything at yeah, like, all of the top end that you had going on. Yeah, what are you supposed to do? Like, I'm I'm just kind of like, ramping uh occasionally like being sort of annoying with your mana too uh and you you do stuff i just like kill it and then i'm threatening to do i don't know like put like three seven drops into play or something and just like what the hell you know how are you supposed to actually like get through and kill me yeah i mean the only i think the the only game i i won against you was when i just had a stomper into invasion draw which yeah. again is is kind of just the tax on standard right now. Yep. Um the other card 
that you showed up with that really impressed me. Um, Late edition to the discard spell. Yeah, extract the truth. Uh, so in between these these games, in between playing these matchups, you took a dinner break, and my my red black deck at the time was sixty one. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna figure something out to like trim this down and to maybe like look at the sideboard and stuff. And I already already kind of like glossed over sideboard plans. Like, okay, I want to take these out. I have this many cards to bring in. This looks good. Whatever. And then I'm just like scrolling through cards. I see extract the truth and it's like, you know, get uh, enchantment creature, like make them discard enchantment creature planeswalker or target opponent sacks and enchantment. And it's like, okay, well, this is either going to like kill a binding or kill a beanstalk if I want to do that. And, you know, they play beanstalk. You're like, kill the beanstalk. That's not a great exchange, but if, the game is going to go long. I think that is in my favor better than probably like casting the extract the truth. So I was like, yeah, I'll try like two of these and three dresses instead of four dresses or whatever. And extract made it feel like my plan A was a lot better because I have a way to just put your tracks in the graveyard versus you casting it, having to cast it first. And then there were just games where you would like, I play a cruelty, you'd like binding it and I'd just be like, eh, kill your binding get my thing back, you know? And it just felt like it made it so you had, like, no outs possible. Yeah, it was really impressive. And it was, it was like, a card that I just, com- like, almost completely forgot existed for a little bit. Um, it was impressive enough that it got my wheels spinning of, like, okay, where are other places that I could play this card? Yeah, it's like, like the something it Citadel good- thing, right? Yeah, just- like is it is it good enough to play in like the sort of base black version of the ramp deck? Maybe uh, should in, it be in your blue black deck? Maybe, maybe. Uh in in terms of like ramp for mirror type of stuff, like when Dave won Dallas, he had he had cruelty and like we had a bunch of black removal spells like go for the throats and the virtue and stuff, and it's like yeah, probably. Like, our sideboard had, like, three dresses or something. Should have been some amount of extracts. Absolutely. Because, especially when I'm trying to, like, stop you from ramping, and I, like, I cast duress, right? And you just have a stomper or something. It's like, oh, I just, like, can't even stop you from from ramping. Like, what am I going to do? And extract, like, I extracted a stomper. It was great. Yeah, and, you know, uh, again, if it's a side if sideboard-only card, then it doesn't really matter but con- conceivable that there are other weird places you could bring it in. You know, some, someone shows up with green-white auras or green-white enchantments would be would be nice to have access to a couple of those. Yeah, you're like, oh, sweep the board and then kill your hallowed haunting or whatever. Like, that's almost certainly a thing that could happen. Um, so, yeah, I, I, am, I am bullish on the red-black deck. You know, I think same big open-ended question of are the lengths that we're going to to beat ramp leaving us with decks that are good enough against everything else? And this red-black deck, you have the Field of Ruin thing going on. You have access to a bunch of spot removal and Brotherhood's End and Burn Down the House, so... I find it hard to believe that the creature matchups are like so bad. Um, 
it feels like it has a lot of promise to me. Yeah, I think so too. Like, I definitely like the idea of the blue black deck more and it's like more in my wheelhouse or whatever, but it would not surprise me if the Rakdos deck ends up making more of an impact. I, I think so. I also would guess that if the Rakdos deck gets popular, that is another deck that the blue black deck is going to get. Probably. Would be my guess. Yeah, because a, a lot of these things are like the the Rakdos stuff is also pretty weak to stifles and negates to some degree. And I don't know. Yeah, they have they have like spot removal and some rampy options or whatever. But I think for the most part, Domain is a scarier matchup from the blue black side of things than the Rakdos deck would be. I don't know. I, I would think so. Can we just can we just take a minute to appreciate the tide binder? Yeah. Dude, what I a good this, card. I thought this card sucked. I'm so dumb. Me too. This is like three I, mana for a stifle. Like, dude, there are games where like one mana was too expensive, you know? Yeah, and I, I don't know. <laughs> I saw the card and I saw some hype around it. And I just remembered when Void Slime was spoiled. Oh yeah. And everyone was like, oh man, it's over. Like, Blue Mages win again. And then and then no one really ever played Void Slime outside of, you know. Did you even play them in the block constructed Pro Tour? Maybe. Uh, okay, I have a story about that. Round one, we play against a Japanese team. My opponent uh, makes a mistake, uh, tries to take it back, which is cheating, and then we call a judge, and then he lies at the judge. So then that is also cheating. Um, and then it comes down to game three, match three. This is a team Pro Tour. And... My teammate has, uh, like Fire Main Angel in the graveyard, which is at the beginning of your upkeep. If it's in your graveyard, you you gain a life. Uh, banger of a card, awesome card. And you can pay like ten mana to put it back into play or something ridiculous. Uh, and then has two of these enchantments in play where it's like whenever you gain life, you can pay two to like shock something. Do you know this card? Oh yes, it's like fiery uh, meditation or something. I don't know. Yeah, searing meditation, maybe. Uh, fiery meditation. Uh, yep, searing meditation. Nailed it. Whenever you gain life, you may pay two. If you do, this deals two damage to target creature or player. Uh, so yeah, those those are combo deck. Fire main angel, searing meditation. Uh, and Japanese opponent has lethal next turn. Passes the turn. Uh, teammate untaps, goes like the trigger, trigger, fire main, gain a life, trigger these two meditations. They're at two life. Japanese opponent confidently, like with each hand, slams their last two cards into play face up, which are two copies of Void Slime, sliming the two meditations. And my teammates just like counter one of them, kill you. And they're just like, no, you know, just like uproarious. Uh, when they could have just like void slimed the angel trigger and just like stopped it all. <laughs> I uh I I have a really soft spot in my heart for Fire Me Angel. What a cool uh, card. Yeah, love love that card. And for whatever reason, whenever people, you know, they're like people's favorite top ten lists or like what is your personal spell book or whatever, like the Jason Spellbook stuff. Whenever I was making those lists, uh I never thought about that card, but that card is a banger. It's a good one. I uh that is 
that is around when I I would say I first started getting into let's call it like structured competitive magic. Yeah. Um, you know, those were uh like I I played I think my first JSS that season. Maybe maybe that was my second season of playing JSS. That was the year uh that was the year that Chase and I went to to JSS Nationals. Um when you were I, I both think, qualified, right? Yeah, when we when we were both <laughs> qualified. Uh, it was it was like you that lied to your parents about being qualified. I think like I, yeah, but I, I don't know about I don't know lied to them about being qualified, but like you're like I have this big tournament to play in or whatever, and it was an LCQ. Yeah, there, there was an LCQ the day before, and I I you know chase was not going to be able to go and he was qualified yeah and i was like look let's go there's this lcq it's like really easy and like i'll definitely be able to play the the main tournament which was like i don't know it's an lcq (laughs) it wasn't that likely but yeah it's it's kind of delusional but then yeah i mean you did win so And, Um, and you lied to your parents uh to do a nice thing for your friend yeah yeah so you know i definitely i definitely uh you know that the 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 moment of that weekend that i uh that is like i i kind of suppressed a little bit um was uh i won i won the lcq that night and before the the big tournament the next day my bag got stolen oh no and i was a kid and i think we were 13 um and it was like devastating yeah and you know shout out to my parents if this just gives you a sense of like how much they appreciated and encouraged magic in me at that age and could kind of tell how much it meant to me like they helped me rebuy and rebuild my deck from the vendors before the jss nationals the next morning so i could still play that's awesome and it was like you know and then and then i just kind of like the rest is history right and I don't know. I think especially in the in the period of time that you and I were kids playing magic, like I think it was much less well understood by a lot of people. There weren't like other other similar things to compare it to now, you know. If you're a kid who's 13 and you're going to play a magic tournament, like your parents and your aunts and uncle like they've probably heard of twitch and they've seen people playing video games on online and competing at them and they sort of like generally understand that world or they've watched the queen's gambit sure you know and like when we were kids that that wasn't really a thing and it was sort of hard to explain and i think maybe hard for people to understand kind of like just how much it meant to us and kind of like how formative it was and the fact that that was something that like my parents got and understood at that age was just like i don't know i mean it sounds so like silly to say but like i none of none of the other stuff that happened in my magic career would have 
wouldn't have happened if they kind of didn't like lean into it the way they did. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, especially like they they could be fighting against it, you know? Right. Um, which was not not uncommon for a lot of our friends, you know. Right. Yeah. So, uh, it it sounds like, I like I don't. It sounds like they kind of understood the gravity of it, right? It's just like, oh, this is a thing that our kid is engaging with in like a healthy and positive way, and seems to bring them a lot of joy. And like, yeah, it's really fucking weird to us or whatever. But like, hey, it makes them happy, you know, like. That that is the type of thing that is incredible. That is A plus parenting. Yeah. And so, you know, I almost I almost like there's so so many other fun and good stories from that tournament, which was like my first my first time ever like going outside of the state to play magic or anything like that. That I almost kind of forget about that aspect a lot of the time I reflect back on that tournament because there's there's so many other cool and good memories from it. Yeah, I mean, that's like not a good story, like, oh, my bag got stolen, but like it is a really good story, like very positive story. Yeah. And and also, you know, I mean, <laughs> in, in, in the grand scheme of things, the my backpack got stolen and all that was in it was my Ravnica era standard deck. Yeah. Which that's... to a 13-year-old is a big deal, but there was probably a lot of other people in that room who had a legacy deck or whatever that yep. <laughs> I'll, I'll take the bullet. Yeah, it's it is definitely not bad. Like my my bag got stolen uh at a Grand Prix and it had my my deck and uh, my headphones and I think that was about it and it was like that was devastating to me as like a you know 25 year old or whatever um but yeah also just thinking about like all the random crap I carry with me now it's like oh I would have like you know airpods and like a portable charger and you know maybe another deck maybe like extra cards like stuff that I was like loaning to people or got loaned, you know. I was like I I got off pretty easy. Yeah. All things considered, and it was, it's weird that that's all I had on me. I think I think that this Nationals this Nationals was like right at the height of the the theft ring stuff that was going on. Um I think it was it was not it was not long afterwards where there was the Grand Prix where where Adam Shaw like tackled yeah. the thief. Yeah. Um and uh and you know for <laughs> for anyone who doesn't recognize that name, Adam is is you know from Connecticut, which is where I live now, and he was a judge. Uh and you know at every PTQ, like someone that everyone everyone really like was sort of one of the pillars of the community in the area and like legitimately People heard that story, and the next time he showed up at a PTQ, people were like going over and clapping him on the back and stuff because, like, someone made off with a bag in the middle of a tournament, and he chased him down and full on, full on tackled the thief. Yeah, I mean, it's not a lot of people that would do that sort of thing to like protect their community. You know? Yeah, um, it's badass. It is. Um. Uh, what else? 
there's is there some other deck? No, we're all out of decks. Uh, I'm looking at the the rest of the uh, qualifier stuff that the blue black deck won, and like there's there is a decent amount of the Rakdos ramp deck, and there's there's also some of the Rakdos aggro too, but uh, I think that that is less good. Yeah, I mean, it certainly seems like a lot of other a lot of other people started to say, come to some of the same conclusions about what what type of structures you need to to fight against the domain ramp deck. Um, and yeah, I I think it'll be really interesting to see how things sort of play out over over the course of the next couple weeks. Um, so. So two questions for you then. Hit me. I have I have an art a standard RCQ, not this Sunday, but the following Sunday on the 13th. Um where where do you think we should be investing time to kind of prepare me prepare me for that RCQ? Is it is it Rakdos? Is it blue black? Is it both? Well, given that it is still early. And people have yet to adapt. I think you could still just play ramp. Like you, you play a good version of ramp. You play some of your own tide binders for mirror matches, and uh, tide binder coincidentally also good against like their Jace mill you plan. So either you use that to facilitate your own mill plan if you think the games come down to that. Uh, I, I still don't, especially if you're able to stop their attractions. Um. Just make sure that you're like generally good against everything and maybe have a little bit more of a plan for the people who have like three ish tide binders or whatever. But like looking at a lot of these decks, like, yes, those numbers are creeping up, but it's definitely not at like the oh, if I'm playing blue, I should have four of this card in my deck. Like people are still playing three shooters, right? Like, and, is, and a lot is of these the, lists is have the best answer zero. to a bad guy with a tide binder or a good guy with a tide binder. Uh, yeah, I think Ramp is supposed to be the bad person in the analogy, though. Ramp is the villain. Fair, fair enough. <laughs> so, yeah, I am I am the, the hero of the story. I'm the protagonist who is preemptively arming myself against the villain who I'm sure will at some point will pick up Tidebinders. Yeah, I and, think. And clearly that is noble and justified and good. I think that makes sense. I think I'm going to... I'm going to uh sort some cards and make sure make sure that I have uh two or or maybe all three of these options available to me and and keep a pulse on on what's going on in the challenges next weekend and see kind of how how it seems like people are people are reacting. Uh you know, it there hasn't been a big tournament since Mogged one on Saturday and it wouldn't surprise me if a lot of people saw that deck list and had the same reaction we did, which is, yeah, this is smart and makes a lot of sense and I should try it. Yep. And I mean, I was already working on blue, blue black stuff. And then I basically came to the conclusion that blue white was better because it was more of like Esprit stuff and like, oh, virtue of loyalty and like build a big board position, put counters on my things. Yay, this is what I want to be doing. Now I don't want to be anywhere near that. Uh, so then seeing blue black with uh tide binder and uh it's, it's just what I want to be doing is ever since 
uh, the night before Dallas when I when I thought about blue black, where I was like, oh, maybe I want like Kaito and Airtai against these ramp decks, you know? I've just been waiting for it to be good, and now it might be. The thing is, is you got to make sure that you're actually pretty reasonable against everyone else, you know? So that would be my main concern there. And then my main concern for ramp would be mirrors and maybe like the three people in your tournament who are smart and have tie binders in their blue decks. And what are you going to do? Yeah. Yeah. And I think if you, if you are leaning towards Rakdos, I think the concern starts to be that a lot of the things that are good against the ramp deck are also good against you. And are you just catching some of the splash hate by people playing Tidebinders, by people playing counter spells, by people being prepared to go over the top? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like I what I would want to do now in your spot is like play ramp versus the field, play blue black versus the field, and then probably don't need to play many games with ramp, but at least think about things and just a- approach it from uh like you're you're starting from scratch, more or less. And if that is the case, what what does your setup look like? Uh, well, hopefully and- this is a, a one-and-done RCQ season for me because uh, the RCQ is at a store that I didn't know existed that is only about 10 minutes from my house. Oh, that rules. Uh, and I it, it is in a mall. I don't really know what to expect. I've already pre-registered because they have some sort of cap this may legitimately be one of those like mythical 16 person rcqs that i've heard so much about but don't really seem to exist in the east coast and if i happen to stumble upon one of those that uh (laughs) that would be pretty nice i've gone to a few spots where like the store's in the mall and then you just end up playing in the food courts or whatever and at that point i don't think there would be a cap you know those yeah. malls tend to have a lot of space. So given that, yeah, I feel like it's it is probably gonna be pretty small. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a store in the mall. Maybe I'll go scope it out this weekend and see if I can uh figure out figure out what, what I'm getting myself into before I go. Yeah, sort your cards, see what you're missing, drop in, see what they got. Oh man, looking at looking at all these Esper lists, one island. Let's go. Demolition field. All of your stuff. What that's one island, zero other basics. Yeah. You just hum, 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 hum. hope everyone hope everyone plays Esper and you play the Rakdos stack. Oh my god, this one has zero. But they, they got <laughs> they got I'm at fifty first place by now. Cause that these are where all the Esper decks are. Yeah. Um Maybe maybe there will be a a back to normal Esper week at some point, but uh, it, th- that deck has not been putting up results. No, it is very medium. It's it's got a lot of the Jun stuff going on, but instead of being like forty five percent against everything, you're like forty percent against everything. So you're just like, I really like Rafid. That's it. And you have, like you said, Cincinnati coming up, going to be armed with creativity and maybe some phoenixes or maybe some some blue white cards yeah uh, i was was gonna bring blue white cards but maybe i should i don't know it's a lot of work and then uh got i just checked the rcq schedule for me i got some 
some good weekends coming up in January where it's like I could just train to DC, play in a couple. Uh, if if Cho wants to have me over, you know, so that's good. I'll also be playing standard. This is great. It's gonna be gonna be a couple a couple of good months of magic before we know it. It'll be Hartford, and you'll be up here for the Star City, and then yeah. uh, we'll be on our we'll be on our way out to Denver. Yeah, that's gonna be great. Um, if you want to play it all next week, like once I get back, let me know. I'm I'm down to to now be the villain in in your scenario. Sounds great. Um, well, hopefully, uh, you know, I think looking looking forward to next week. Uh, hopefully, hopefully for for Dave's sake, the the baby is here, and uh, and and hopefully we have some some fun adventures from Cincinnati to talk about. Yeah, I I tend to get into some stuff one way or the other, so. Uh, I feel like I'll have some stories. I'll do my best, though. Game. Game. Good luck.